told you before that I grew up in Paoli, Indiana, and I grew up on a road called Sandy Hook Road, okay, and that road was, was a good road, like our neighborhood was a decent neighborhood. Uh, I knew all the neighbors, they had kids, and we all played together, and my mom was never worried that I would get hurt, and I was never worried that I would get hurt either. So, you know, I'd get home from school, do homework, I would leave, and I would just come back whenever, you know, I felt like it, because uh, we didn't have cell phones back then. So I felt pretty safe. Uh, one day I was out in the yard by myself playing, and uh, I threw a baseball up, and I was hitting it. So I hit the baseball over the neighbor's yard into the, his neighbor's yard, and it was a, an older lady. Uh, she was retired. Her husband had passed away. She was really nice, and uh, I just knew who she was. I had no beef with going over there to get the ball, so I walked over there to get the ball out of her yard, and and as I was walking, I kind of heard some noise, and I looked up, and uh, there, was a, there was a boy in this tree, okay? He climbed the tree. So when he saw me, he jumped out of the tree. He ran at me and tackled me, and then he hit me about five or six times. So then he got up, and he was bigger and older than me, and, and then I got up and went home, and I thought, man, that, that was weird, you know? That, I mean, that never happened before. And... Uh, that night, I didn't want to ride my bike, or I didn't, I didn't feel as safe, you know, uh, because of, of what had happened. Next day, I'm doing the same thing again. I'm, I'm trying to be cautious. I hit the ball, and no joke, it goes over into that lady's yard again. And I thought, well, I don't really don't want to go get it, but I decided I had a plan in place. I decided to go get it anyway, right? So I go over there, and I'm not joking. The boy he must have liked to climb trees because he's in the same tree, <laughs> Again, and as I walked to get the ball, he jumps out of the tree, and he comes after me, but this time, he didn't know it, but I had the bat with me. So he ran at me to tackle me, and I hit him with that bat, not in the face, but like in the arm, and I remember him grabbing his arm and running inside his house, and uh, he never do that again. Uh, so I took the bat with me every time, though, if I had to go over there, and, you know, something that had felt safe to me, like the neighborhood that I was in, um, all of a sudden I had an experience and it became not safe. And I had to do something to protect myself. And I think we experience that in life, right? It might not be a kid jumping out of the tree and tackling you, but it might be, uh, you know, maybe you told a friend something uh, and, and that friend went and told somebody else and, and it upset you. You know, or maybe... Uh, maybe you just can't be vulnerable because there have been things in life that, that have upset you and now you have built walls. We want to protect ourselves, right? We don't want to get hurt. 
and we have all kinds of things, so we, so we won't. We have car alarms, right? We have uh, home security systems. We have a private porch, you know, or, an, or I'm sorry, a private fence like for the backyard. We want to make sure that we're not going to go through any kind of pain. And we are like that with other people. Sometimes people don't really get to know us because we're afraid to share maybe what we're going through or what's going on in our life because we're afraid of how that person might react. Uh, I was reading a magazine. It's called Psychology Today. Now, this is not a magazine I get delivered to my house and I read often, but I, I do go to counseling and I enjoy going to counseling. And, and in the counselor's office was this magazine called Psychology Today. So I was reading an article and they did a survey and they asked a bunch of students uh, a question. They asked them the question if they liked themselves. Okay? Uh, and, and here's how it went. So 96% of kids, five and under, said that they liked themselves. Right? So they look in the mirror and they say, hey, you're a great guy, you're awesome, and I like you. All right? So they asked uh, juniors and seniors, and they found that 80% of them did not like who they, who they are. Now, why is that? Why all of a sudden does that change? And I think it's the experiences that we have, right? People get hurt, especially as they're going through school sometimes, and uh, they kind of close down. People tell you what they think about you sometimes in not nice ways. And uh, because of that, people build walls. We are not vulnerable with each other as much anymore. We are afraid of that. And uh, I want to talk to you about that today. Like, one of the emotions that we're talking about, like, being vulnerable with somebody. Being vulnerable with a group. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 2. And I just, when I talk about being vulnerable, I just want to tell you what I'm talking about. So if, like, you might hear this sermon and, and you might think, you know, I'm going to go get real vulnerable, like, after the, the service. And you might run up here and you might say, I just want to tell everybody that my mother-in-law, I don't like her and she's not very nice. And I've just felt that way if you just pray for me. And if you do that, that's not being vulnerable. That's called stupidity, okay? So, like, you don't want to do that. Like, you want to have a group of people, you know, that you can tell them about what's going on in your life. And you can just, you can just be real with them. That's what we're talking about. So, so as we read, Paul is writing here. And, and uh, so, just to paint the picture, he's writing about Corinth. And that was an important city in Paul's day. It was a city known as a city devoted to pleasure-seeking. It was the center of Greek culture in a busy commercial city with a cosmopolitan atmosphere. So it had been like L.A., you know, downtown L.A., like it was a, a city where people would seek pleasure. And this is where he's at. This is where he's, like, presenting the gospel. He's in Ephesus, and he's writing about his time here. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 4, it says this, and it says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquent or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
So Paul's coming to them, and he says one thing that sticks out to me. He says, I did not come with elegant or human wisdom as I proclaim to you in testimony about God. So he's coming and he's saying, I didn't come acting like I was a Harvard graduate. Okay. Now Paul is a smart guy. He could have. He could have like put on a show and acted like he was somebody very, very important and very, very smart. But Paul is saying here that he came and he talked to them, not as that, but as Paul. Paul was real. Paul was Paul. Paul was who he was, and that's who he was going to be, and he didn't try to do anything else. And in our culture today, are we that? Are we who we are, or do we try to be somebody else? Because we live in a culture today where it is easy for us to look like something different, right? And if you think about social media and all the ways and all the things that we can put out there, we can really paint a picture of something different for us and how life really is. Uh, there was a guy at my last church, and not my last church, but one of the churches I've been at, and he was an older gentleman, and he had just gotten a Facebook, okay? So a few months had went by, and he posted this picture of a, someone's profile, and there was like this lady on there, and she was like a supermodel, like a famous supermodel, and he said, this lady is not who she says she is. This lady, this profile, is actually a man and his wife trying to scam people. He said, I have given, I have given them everything, that every dime that I have, and I am now broke. So someone was able to get on Facebook and paint a picture of a reality that was not true. And this guy, one, I thought, how do you not know that this is a fake profile? You know, and, but this guy ended up giving all of his money to her. Okay, so, and we do that too, right? We might not take people's money, but sometimes we put things, you know, we want to look like we, uh, we have it all together. We want to look like we have two and a half kids and that we have a white picket fence. We have a dog that doesn't shed and everything needs to look good. Is that real? And sometimes we compare our lives to those people that are not being real. And then we want to be like them, but that's not really true for them anyway. So I have a friend, and he's uh, trying to find somebody to marry. He's, he's dating, and it, I'm not talking about Keegan. I'm talking about somebody else. So, but because this guy, is on, he's on Match.com. And one day he was like, uh, you see these ladies, you know, that you think I'd be interested in? And I started looking at them. I was like, I can't even, like, there were so many filters, like, on the person. Like, you, you this couldn't tell, like, really what they even looked like. And I was like, I think if I were you, maybe I'd probably meet somebody in person, you know, because I don't know if this is going gonna to work or not. So, but we want to be honest with who we are and with the people around us. And we want to have a close group where we can do that. The next thing is this, realize secrets destroy intimacy. Okay, so we're going to talk about David here. And, and David, we're going to look in... Uh, we're going to look in 2 Samuel 12, all right? So before that, like I'm going to paint a picture of what had happened before I read this verse. Uh, David was relaxing, walking on his palace roof, and he sees a lady that's bathing, all right? That lady is Bathsheba, and he sends somebody to find out who she is. They go, the messenger comes back and says that Bathsheba is married, all right? And he's, he still goes ahead and sends for her. So she comes to his palace, 
and they sleep together, and she ends up being pregnant. Now, she has a husband named Neriah, all right? He doesn't know about this. David does not want to be found out about it, and he's nervous about his sin and adultery, so he brings Neriah home. He's, he's battling. He's in a war. He brings him home, hoping that he will sleep with his wife, and then they'll think that she's pregnant because of him. Well, he doesn't do that, okay? He doesn't sleep with her because he says he's not going to do that while his men are out there battling. So David, upset, sends him to the front line, and Neriah is killed, all right? So you can see here that David, like, commits adultery, and he commits murder. So they send the prophet Nathan to him, and this is where we're at. So in 12, 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and he grew it up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from the cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David, after he hears this, he burns with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because... He did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan then says to David, you are that man. So one, like David has a friend, or David has a guy that is, is bold enough to come and talk to him. The Lord sends him, he tells him what he has done. David repents. Not only does he repent, but he talks about this later on. And we might be going through something, so David he hides a lot of things, doesn't he? And it makes things worse. And so secrecy destroys intimacy. If you are married, like, and you keep, maybe you're struggling with something and you don't share that with your spouse or you keep that from them and you have secrets, that destroys intimacy, right? And it can be, too, with our friendships and it can be, too, with the people at church. Now, again, I, I don't want to know everything you're going through. I'm saying that you need a group you know, that you can talk to about certain things. Because most of the time when people come in here, you know, if I say, hey, how you doing? You're going to say, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Better than I deserve. You know, you never really hear anybody say, man, I'm just not doing okay. Like, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to share weakness. And the truth is, like, I'm not okay. You're not okay. You know, we're, we're just not okay sometimes. And that's all right. I mean, Sometimes we come in here and things are not going well. Uh, you got people that are dealing with addictions, people that are dealing with money situations, people that are dealing with problems in their marriage, and they won't tell anybody about it. Uh, when I was when I was little, I liked to play with fire. Okay, I was probably like four years old and. At that time, there was a, a cigarette lighter in the car. You pushed it in, and it got hot, you know. And my mom saw me missing with that one day, and she said, don't touch that. And I said, fine. So one day, she's in the house, uh, and I run out, and I get in the car, and I, I push it in, and I look at it, and it's bright red, and then I stick my finger in it. Okay, like, 
And then I remember, I remember hearing like a sound, you know, like, and then I ran inside screaming, and my, I told my mom that a dog had bit me. And uh, <laughs> she, you know, was, you know, they, she was like, well, we got to find that dog. And, I, and my dad was upset. But the next day after it had healed, she looked and she knew what I had done because it, there were rings, you know, from that burnt into my finger. And I remember being in a lot of trouble. Like she, not only did I lie to her and did, I did what she told me not to, but then I also lied to her about what I did. And a lot of times when we're trying to keep secrets, like it, this kind of snowballs and it, and it gets worse. And we want to be people that can be vulnerable with each other. I had a really close friend of mine. I was talking to him on the phone. I was in Florida. We were just talking about certain things. And, I, and then out of nowhere, he says, uh, he says, yeah, I filed for divorce this week. My wife and I are getting a divorce. And I, I was blown away. I said, so, I said you, you just said that so casual, like you're getting a divorce? He said, yeah. And I said, but I've been with you and your wife. We've went on double dates. Like, and he said, no, we've been having problems for a long time. And I thought, well, I never, I could never tell. I mean, you never said anything. Like, you didn't say, hey, pray for me. Like, I'm, I'm going through some problems. You didn't, like nothing. This all of a sudden, he was getting a divorce. I was upset about it because I didn't feel like he was very transparent with me. And, and we were close friends. We were those kinds of friends. We were accountability partners. And then all of a sudden, like, he's, he's getting a divorce. And I want to say, I think across, probably across the globe, like, there are, there are marriages and churches that are falling apart, and people are too afraid to say anything about it. People are too afraid to come to somebody and say, hey, we're having issues. Because we want everything to look so-so. We want everything to look okay. My wife, you know, I, sometimes I'm kind of like that. She'll come in, if she comes in here and I've done something to make her mad, like I'll be sitting by her and then, you know, she'll look like she's mad at me and I'll say, hey, uh, you uh, look like you're mad at me. You know, people are going to think you're mad at me and she'll go, I am mad at you. And I'll say, well, um, I guess, you know, she's being transparent, but... Um, but she, she's not going to hide. She's just not going to hide it, you know. I mean, and I wish I could be more, you know, like her in that way. Um, so we don't want to... We don't want to have secrets. Like, we want to be able to share things with people. Uh, and the last thing is this. Don't worry about what people think. Galatians 1.10 says, For I am now seeking the approval of... For, I'm sorry, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world does, or as the world gives you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in these verses, I love them because you ask yourself sometimes, like, am I, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? When I'm going through something hard and I don't want to get that out in the open, is that for me? I mean, am I trying to please others because I'm worried about what they think? Or am I trying to please God and get right with him? John 14, 27, I love because he tells the disciples this right before he leaves and he tells them that they're going to have trouble. And he says, but even in that trouble, you can have peace. And even in the midst of what we're going through, like we can have peace. 
So we don't want to worry what others think. We want to please God. I was in eighth grade one night, and, and my stomach started hurting really bad. It's probably about three in the morning, and I remember it hurt so bad that I got off the bed onto the floor, and I was in, like I was curled up in a ball, and it just, I, I didn't know what was going on. I started moaning and making all kinds of weird noises. My mom comes in there and she says, what is wrong with you? And she, I couldn't even get out of that position. So she helps me up, gets me in the car. We go to the emergency room. And uh, I am in so much pain. Like, I just want them to take it away. And so they put me in a room and a nurse comes in there and she says, okay, you know, we want you to, to get changed. And I said, okay. And so a little bit of time goes by and I'm, um, I take my clothes off, I get on the table, and the nurse comes in, and then she looks, and then she walks back out real fast, and then she sends the, the doctor in, he's a male, and he comes up to me, he says, young man, he said, you know, I see you've undressed, but you need to put the gown on. So I was sitting there, not wearing any clothes, but but here's the thing, like, I would, I would at that age, especially, I would never do that, I would never let anybody see me like that, but but I was in so much pain. If that's what they wanted me to do, I didn't care. Like, I mean, and if you've ever been in pain like that, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, for late, like for ladies, when you're going through labor and my wife's done it five times, I know that it's, I mean, it's, it's just a lot of pain. You just want that to go away. Right. And when we're going through hurts and we're going through pain and, and our life is not exactly what God would want it to be. That's not a time to worry. Like what other people are thinking about you. It's a time to worry what God is thinking about you. It's a time to come to him and try to get things right. And with that hurt, you know, I know comes a lot of shame and it, and it prevents us from actually going to somebody or getting it right with God. We let others keep us away from what we need to do. A quote, a man said, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. The consequences give us that pain and it motivates us to change. But we won't change, he's saying, until the pain is greater than the pain of changing. One last story, I'll close. Uh, I was at church camp when I was 15 years old. First time I'd ever been to church camp in my life. Again, I didn't grow up in church. And uh, as I'm at camp, they are telling us about Jesus and they're, they're saying at the end, hey, if you have anything you want to pray about, we want you to come forward, you know, and there was an altar there and you can get down, you can pray and we'll pray for you, whatever's going on in your life. And, and at 15 years old, never been in, being at church, I thought, I'm not going to do that. That is weird, you know, and so... Uh, as time went on, they started talking about it. And at 15 years old, like my parents had got divorced when I was 10. I had a lot of built-up resentment. I was hurting. And I just, you know, even at 15, I, didn't, I wasn't going to go to my friends at high school that didn't go to church and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm hurting. I mean, that, or I'm sad. So, so anyway, so the last night, like they give this call and they say, hey, if you want to come up here, uh, tell us what's going on in your life. We'll have somebody pray for you. I remember like my heart beating so fast and I couldn't, I couldn't get there fast enough. So I go up, I get down to pray and uh, the youth pastor that I showed you next last week, his name is Anthony Moore. He comes up to me, kneels beside me and he says, he grabs my shoulder and he says, Chris, what's going on? 
in your life. And I remember saying, for the first time, like I had ever done anything like this, I just said, I said, Anthony, I'm, I'm hurt. I said, I got a lot of anger. I got a lot of hurt in me right now. And uh, I spent some time talking to him about my parents. And, and as I'm doing that, like I'm crying, which is something that used to, I would never do. Now I just can't stop doing it, you know. But like I was telling him about things that went on in my life and he was praying for me. And I remember just letting that go, like being able to express that to somebody and not holding it in by myself was such an amazing feeling. And I, I'm, I'm 42. I told you I was 58 last week. I'm not 58. So. <laughs> Listen, I'm 42, and I can remember that like it was yesterday, and I can remember that feeling of like, you know, just God had just taken that, you know, and he had, like, that I wasn't alone, that there were people that cared and wanted to go on this with me, and I could be vulnerable with Anthony, and there were friends at youth group that I could do that with, and oftentimes we just, we just, man, we just don't want to do that. That's just hard. We don't want people to know the real things that are going on in our life, and my question to you is, like, how can people pray for you if they don't know what's going on? I mean, there are so many times people are going through stuff, and and we would be there, but we just don't know because they just don't share it. And uh, today, you know, as Ryan leads in worship, if you want to pray, uh, we will have some people in the back that will pray for you. Uh, you know, we got Webby here, we got Frank here, Scott's back there, uh, Jennifer's going, like, they will pray for you. I don't know what you're going through in your life. And you might be hurt, and it might be something that's really hard and difficult, but I just want to let you know that there are people here today, they care for you, they love you, they don't want you to have to deal with your mess just by yourself, like, we want to be there for you, and so does God. So if you want to pray, they're going to be back there, and you can pray with them. And uh, I'm going to pray, and then you guys can stand, we'll lead worship, and Ryan will lead us in some worship. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are and how much you love us. I want to thank you that you, Father, I'm just grateful that you don't leave us. Father, there is a body of people and friends that you give us to walk the road with us. You walk it with us. And I just pray today that if someone's struggling, they're not afraid to come to you. They're not afraid to go tell somebody that they're hurting or that they need help. Father, we're thankful for the love and the grace that you give us. We're thankful for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.